episode of Baseball is Dumb. My name is Ian Baker, and I did not introduce myself in the first episode. I didn't either. I didn't either. (laughs) We said your name, but... It's like, hi. Yeah. I'm Johnny. Maybe maybe we should have never introduced ourselves. People are already... Cut, cut, cut. (laughs) DMing our Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Like, who is that masked man? Joke's on them. I don't have Instagram. Oh, got him. What the show does. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how good I am at uh, marketing my social media. So yeah, this is a show about baseball history where we just kind of take a look at the dumbest stories that baseball has to offer because this game is older than dirt, as some would say. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say it's older than dirt. I would even say it's older than sand. That's deep. I really <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay, so I have a quick question for you, Johnny, my boy. Does the name Pete Browning ring a bell to you? Isn't that the guy that made all the guns? No. Oh. Then... Well, maybe there is a Pete Browning who made guns, but it's not this Pete no, Browning. No, like the Browning like rifle. Yeah, I know what you're referring to. I don't this isn't him. Okay. <laughs> At least as far as I Then no, <laughs> my Pete reason. Browning does not ring a bell. I'm willing to bet you actually do know who this is, you just don't know it, because that's the experience that I had, and I'm a narcissist and thinks everybody lives the same way I do. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, so this story begins back in the 60s. 1860s, to be precise. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, so on June 17th, 1861, Lewis Rogers, nicknamed Pete Browning, was born in Louisville, Kentucky. His parents were Samuel and Mary Jane Shepard Browning. He was the youngest of eight kids. A uh, quick side note, this doesn't have really anything to do with the story, but when Pete was 13, his dad, Sam, was killed by a tornado. Fun fact, right off the bat. Where do you say go. he was from? Louisville. Do they even have a tornado? I guess they do. Yeah, they, uh, they clearly they do. Evidently, <laughs> they do, because his dad was killed by Okay. Yeah, anyway, rest in peace, Mr. Browning. Continue. So, as a boy, Pete did whatever he could to avoid doing his schoolwork, because he just loved playing outside. He was known to cut class and hide books under the steps of his friend's house, his friend John Rexius. The two were friends for Pete's entire life and were later teammates. Pete loved basically every sport that was available to him at the time. They would play just anything. They did whatever, including baseball. They loved playing baseball. Some other sports that Pete enjoyed, uh, he had a reputation for being one of the best figure skaters in town. It was written of him, quote, Pete was easily the best in Louisville, possessing an ability to cut more funny figures and skate faster than any other boy of his acquaintance. Funny figures? <laughs> That's what it said. I don't know if that'd be the word like, I would use, but... I read a lot of newspapers from the 1800s for this, mm-hmm. and the writing is spectacular. <laughs> I bet it's just, like... It's so ridiculous. You think of, like, the old-timey announcers from, like, the 30s and 40s. And it's that, but it's, like, ramped up. Oh, yeah. It, but And it's all written down. And that's how I heard it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> it's that voice. Um, yeah, so he loved figure skating. Good for, good for Pete. He was also possibly the best marbles player as well. Oh. Pete was so good at marbles that he accumulated a trunk full of them. He had so many that he had to start returning marbles to his friends just so they could play with them. And he would keep his favorites for himself. <laughs> and eventually, his reputation as a marbles player got so big, he had to go to the other side of town where nobody knew him just so someone would play marbles with him. <laughs> oh my god. This kid's like... He was amazing. Like, I didn't think marbles was like that big, but I guess it's the 1860s yeah. and they didn't really have a whole lot else to do. They didn't have the internet and TV, so <laughs> you play marbles. That's <laughs> what you do. didn't have, like... 
sports because basketball mm-hmm. and football weren't invented in, until like I the guess. late 1800s. Yeah, I mean, there was polo and stuff. But... There was polo. Well, let's talk about some more of the sports right, that he right, right. <laughs> played. He was great at marbles. Like I said, he did basically everything that you could do outdoors, except he did not enjoy swimming, which that, that was actually significant because the Ohio River runs right through Louisville. Mm-hmm. It's literally the border between Louisville, Kentucky, and Indiana. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but he didn't like swimming because he claimed that it hurt his ears. Now, Johnny, you're a man of medicine. Sometimes. <laughs> it's possible that he doesn't like swimming because it hurts his ears. This probably had something to do with the fact that Pete had a really bad case of mastoiditis. You know what this is? Mm, it sounds familiar. It's a pretty rare disease now, but back then it was it was just like everywhere, mm. especially in children. So mastoiditis is an infection of the mastoid bone located just behind the ear. And left untreated, it can lead to deafness. And Pete was partially deaf like his entire life, mm. basically, because of this. Today, the condition is rare and can be treated with antibiotics. But remember, this is the late 1800s, so they do not have those. Antibiotics are um, nothing. I mean, They're gone. Reading about it, it I mean, it must have fucking sucked. Because you just ha- have all this pain in your head. And is like there's really nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I mean, this disease tormented him like basically his entire life. So his condition, paired with his habitual avoidance of schoolwork, caused him to drop out of school really early. And he spent his entire life as, like, a functional illiterate. That's gnarly. Wow. Um, The infection caused him to have chronic headaches and earaches. So to numb his constant pain, there were no antibiotics. So he turned to alcohol. Yay. And he became... (laughs) Yep, here we are. That's 1800s baseball in a nutshell. So, yeah, Pete became a heavy drinker by the time he was a teenager. Now... This poor dude. Yeah. You might be wondering... So his real name is Lewis Rogers Browning. None of those are nicknames for Pete, right? Like, you can't no. make a nickname of Pete. Well, there's a reason he's called Pete. Because if he didn't know your name, he would just call you Pete. Okay. So, Or if he didn't remember your name, too, he would just call you Pete. So <laughs> he did this so much that people just started calling him Pete. Yeah. And it stuck. <laughs> so he was Pete. But, and, but everyone Pete, else was Pete. Everyone too. was also Pete. <laughs> world of Pete. Yes, his world of Pete. This would not be the only nickname Pete got over his life. He got... He has just a million nicknames, each one more ridiculous than the next. And uh, we're going to talk about a few of them as the story uh, progresses. So, (laughs) Pete made what is thought to be his, quote, official baseball debut on Friday the 13th, April 1877, when he was just 15 years old. In the industry, we call this foreshadowing. (laughs) His team, the Louisville Eclipse, faced off the National League team, the Louisville Grays, and it did not go well for them because the Grays beat them 22 to 1. 22. <laughs> 22 to 1. The Eclipse's only run came from a pair of errors that the Grays had in the ninth inning. <laughs> that sucks. This is like the worst baseball team ever. Basically. So the Louisville Eclipse, kind of how baseball worked back then, it really wasn't organized. 1877 was like the second year the National League it might have, I think this is actually the inaugural year the, the National League came to be. Mm-hmm. And the National League is still around today. It morphed and evolved and became what we now know as MLB. Mm-hmm. There's two leagues, the American League and the National League. And that National League is the same one. It's this one. It's still the same one, yeah. Yeah, so when I say National League team, this is that's like a professional baseball team. Mm-hmm. And the Louisville Eclipse were like basically a local amateur team. Like they were a minor... <laughs> 
so you have basically like a single A minor league team playing against a professional baseball team. It'd be like a high school team playing against like the Yankees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just got annihilated. The Louisville Courier Journal wrote of the game, quote, the game between the Eclipse Club and the Louisville Nine yesterday proved to be quite an interesting contest in spite of the one-sidedness of the score. The Eclipse proved rather weak at the bat, but they atoned for this by some very fine work in the field. The Eclipse had nine errors in this game. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Pete and his friends would have their revenge, though, because on July 27th of that year, Pete, now a full-grown 16-year-old man, took the mound against the Grays as a starting pitcher. No, this matters, because he tossed a shutout game, and the Eclipse won 4-0. to zero. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it is widely believed this is what put Pete on the radar for Major League play. Like, he was being noticed, and how baseball worked back then, where, like, if you were a good minor league player... Mm-hmm. Then whatever your local like national league team was, they would probably pick you up. Right. Uh. So you know, 1877, Pete's doing really well, and the Grays were the favorite to win the national league pennant that year. They were really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh. Fortunately, the team, the Grays, got caught up in a gambling scandal, and the national league dissolved the team the following year. So there was just no more major league baseball in Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> just like you know, you guys don't get it anymore. Yeah. Bye. So he probably would have gone pro in 1878, but. Fortunately, Pete had to wait until 1881 until he signed his first professional contract with the Eclipse for $60 a month, which is about $1,500 in 2020 money. (laughs) That's not awful, but also this is like a professional baseball player. Yeah, like he's officially pro now, even though the Eclipse is still a minor league team. So basically back back then, dudes would just kind of run around playing for different teams. Mm. So Pete would play for the Eclipse. He would play for just any team that was there in Louisville. Right. But now that he has a contract with the Eclipse, he is like, he like has to yeah, play he them. yeah, he's specifically an Eclipse player. So uh, early in the 1881 season, Pete had some serious health issues, though it was never determined what it was. They like wrote a ton about it in the newspapers, but I could never figure out what I the disease was. I wonder if it was the alcohol. <laughs> I wonder if it was the mastoiditis. <laughs> I wonder if it was because. He was, like, in pain all of the time. <laughs> Basically. Uh, during a May what t- could it be? <laughs> during a May 22nd contest against Chicago, quote, an obviously distressed Browning came to the plate in the ninth with the Eclipse down 9-8 against the Chicago athletes. Browning got a four-run ninth going with a double that played at two runs, and the Louisville club went on to take a 12-9 victory. The following day, the Courier, <laughs> Courier Journal ran the headline, quote, a sick man saves the day for the Eclipse and defeats the Chicago Visitors. A sick man. Yep. Uh, apparently his health improved shortly thereafter, and he didn't really have any more health issues for the rest of the season. Okay. And it was during this season that Pete earned one of his most famous nicknames, the Gladiator. The Gladiator. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Pete really quickly gained a reputation for just being a phenomenal hitter and also a massive alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, he he was such a great baseball player. He did quickly become a household name. You know, with fame comes attention, and then people notice all these things about you. Right. Uh, Pete spoke of his drinking, saying, quote, I can't hit the ball until I've hit the bottle. Wow. Yeah, which is very funny and very sad at the exact same that, time. That's kind of awful. Um, yeah, so that's one reason Pete got the name The Gladiator, is <laughs> because he just drank like a monster. Yeah. Uh, he also got the name because he frequently clashed with the press as he didn't like having his play and lifestyle examined so closely. A quote from him, One day I am a daisy and the next day I am no good. At least that's the way the papers have me. (laughs) 
It sounds like it sounds like uh, a little bit like our friend that we talked about last time. There's huh? good, yeah. There's some similarities between. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 sensing a theme with the yeah, story <laughs> between uh, the gladiator and Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze. <laughs> As with most of his life, his drinking problem was likely the main cause of conflict with the press, who would refer to him as Distillery Pete. <laughs> Distillery Pete. Yep. Man. Um. So. Pete also, he had a pretty unique play style while he was in the field. He had a really big fear of being injured. Mm -hmm. uh, One day he was playing a game and there was a runner who was coming home. So his catcher was there getting ready to like make the play. Catcher gets the ball and the runner from third slides in and he hits the catcher with his cleat Mm -hmm. and like breaks this dude's ankle. Oh my God. Like really spikes this guy. And so that just freaked Pete out. So he never wanted to be injured, especially if somebody was sliding. <laughs> so if he was covering a base, he would stand on one foot and stick his other knee out so players wouldn't slide into him. So he would, like, <laughs> knee people in the face. Basically. <laughs> Quote, he always declared that if a man ran into the knee bone, he would he would be put out of business and old Pete would escape injury. <laughs> Good old Pete. He's got the the 300 IQ strats oh, yeah. that no one else has thought of. So Pete didn't like other players sliding. He didn't like sliding in general, and he himself refused to do it. <laughs> Quote, if I should attempt to slide into a base, my legs would drop off. <laughs> <laughs> One day, the Eclipse team captain ordered Pete to slide, and when he refused, he fined Pete 50 cents. Pete said, quote, don't care if he finds me a dollar and a half. Ain't gonna slide. <laughs> wow. He's, like, really adamant against yeah, this. Yeah, he, he just refused to slide. Like, I know 50 cents was worth more back then, but it's just really funny that, ah, you get fined yeah. two quarters. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're gonna... Nowadays, it's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's like, you're not getting anything from this. So... Like you were saying, we have some similarities to Mr. Freeze, because he was a great offensive player, not a great defensive player. Uh, Pete was very much the same. Mm -hmm. He's known for his offensive abilities, uh, much like Mr. Freeze. He also had a negative defensive war. His negative... (laughs) <laughs> his stat was for defensive war was negative 5.8 <laughs> so he lost him six games yeah he lost about six games for his team over his whole career oh. uh <laughs> newspapers often reported uh pete's quote battles with fly balls battles it's thought that because of his poor hearing he couldn't hear when the batter made contact because he mm. spent the majority of his career in the outfield so nice. he couldn't hear the ball also i think he had trouble tracking fly balls off the bat because he had this ritual to develop a better eye at the plate. Um, Pete would stare directly into the sun because he, <laughs> because he thought it would make his lamps stronger. His lamps. His lamps are what he called his eyes. <laughs> so Pete had an eye care routine that we all get to know about. <laughs> the eye care routine was stare into the yeah, sun. So he stared into the sun. He would also frequently wash his eyes out with buttermilk. And... <laughs> And if he was on the train, which he was a lot traveling between cities, he would stick his head out of the window like a dog to get soot in his eyes. <laughs> Quote, clinkers are good for the peepers. <laughs> Let a big one blow in your lampertines and it will clean them out so that you can drive a phony pitcher to drink. <laughs> I'm like dumbfounded. <laughs> this guy is either the smartest person ever to live or he's the biggest dumbass in the history of the country. That's a big debate that really even rages to this day. 
like it's like you need help getting around. He's like, no, I'm Pete. Yeah, he's I'm like, Pete. Old Pete knows where he's going. Yeah. He's like, all right, can you like go away? I'm, I'm I don't. Out. I'm pretty sure. Well, I don't know if he talked about himself in third person in real life, but a lot of his newspaper interviews, he refers to himself in the third person. <laughs> like, Maybe he forgot his name, so he was yeah. referring to <laughs> So he's like, I'm Pete. Yeah. I'm Pete. It's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, buddy, good job. Um, I want to quickly talk about a really interesting game that Pete took part in on August 21st of 1877. So the Eclipse, were, they were hosting a team from Cleveland, Ohio, with probably the dumbest team name ever. I think I told you about this on a <laughs> on an instant message. Uh, uh, this team was called the White Sewing Machine Company. That's right. <laughs> the Cleveland White Sewing Machine Company. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how to refer to them in through a shorthand like you can with any other sports team. The sewing machines? Yeah, I just called them the sewing the sewing machines. Like, okay. Now I know they're called the sewing machines because that's that was their team sponsor. Yeah. But it's still a dumb name. It's a dumb name. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. Um so the sewing machines had a star catcher on their team by the name of Moses Fleetwood Walker, who was regarded as the best player on the team. However, Walker was black. And several members of the Eclipse refused to play with him. According to, news- to newspaper reports, Pete was not one of the players who raised objection. The Eclipse won the game 6-3, to but the Courier-Journal wrote the next day that the Eclipse had defeated, quote, a disabled club, and said of the game that it was, quote, an uncalled-for exhibition of prejudice on the field towards a quadroon. Do you know what a quadroon is? You're going to have to just repeat that whole phrase, okay. because it just, like, kind of, it hit me in the face, and I didn't... It's uh, a lot. So it's an uncalled for exhibition of prejudice on the field towards a quadroon. Quadroon. So basically they're saying they're being racist. Yeah. However, quadroon is an old-timey racial slur <laughs> for someone <laughs> of mixed race. Because Walker was mixed race, but he looked black. Mm-hmm. And there are pictures of him that survived today. You like It's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> he very much looked black. So quadroon is just a slur for a mixed race person if you have uh, three quarters European ancestry and one quarter African mm-hmm. ancestry, and that slur goes down so like the fractions. Oct- you can be an octoroon. You can even be a hexadecaroon. That's nuts. <laughs> That's so stupid. How racist do you have to be to get fractions involved? <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, Moses got treated like shit because, you know, this is the 1870s in Kentucky. Even though Kentucky was a Union state during the Civil War. It's still, like... It's still not great. It wasn't... It's still right after the Civil War. It wasn't a champion of progressive ideas, you know? So when the team arrived, Walker was just even refused accommodations at the hotel. The following morning at practice before the game, the managers and one of the players of the Eclipse objected to Walker playing simply because he was black. Uh, Cleveland protested, saying that he was their regular catcher and his withdrawal would weaken the team. Uh, The Courier-Journal wrote, quote, The prejudice of the Eclipse was either too strong or they feared Walker, who has earned the reputation of being the best amateur catcher in the union. He has played against the league clubs and in many games with other white clubs without protest. The Louisville managers decided that he could not play and Cleveland were compelled to substitute West. Uh, West is another guy. I could never find his first name. So, yeah, just West. Uh, so West lasted only one inning as a substitute substitute catcher. So just quick note about how baseball was played in these days. Fielding gloves were not widely used, even by catchers. So these guys caught barehanded. Oh. And even though you know pitchers back then didn't throw as hard as they do today, they're still throwing. It's a, still like like eighty miles an hour. Yeah, it's a baseball that yeah. hits your hand at 
like over yeah. 50, 60, 70 miles an hour. So when the bottom of the second inning began, Wes refused to play anymore because his hands were so badly bruised. Ugh. But Walker did this almost every day. And he still went out and he would get like monster hits. Like he was insane. <laughs> At some point, I feel like you just have to lose like all nerve sensation Probably. in your hands. You absolutely do. So since West was like, I'm not playing anymore, they tried to put Walker back in the game. And here's what's kind of cool. The Louisville crowd, they're supposed to cheer the Eclipse. They they were actually excited that Walker came out to play. They cheered for him. However, John Rexius and Fritz Pfeffer of the Fritz Pfeffer of the Eclipse walked off the field and went to the clubhouse in protest. Unfortunately, the rejection from the opposing players was just too much for Walker, and so he decided, "Fuck this, I'm not going to play." Wasn't Rexius one of Yep, <laughs> one of Pete's like yeah. childhood friends? Yeah, and now they're teammates, and also he's a fucking racist piece of shit. <laughs> well. But here's a kind of a silver lining. Well, I don't know. This is just a neat thing. Uh, Louisville started to boo their own team. Because, because they wouldn't play with Walker. Yeah, they were pissed that they weren't letting this guy play. Quote, Jones, the pitcher, was not supported adequately. And if Walker had caught, it is probable the Eclipse would have been defeated. The Courier Journal wrote. Even um, the newspapers racist. Yeah, even the newspapers is like, you guys are fucking pieces of shit. <laughs> this story does kind of have a kind of happy ending. Because uh, on May 1st, 1884, Walker became the first Major League Black player, making his debut with the Toledo Blue Stockings in a game that took place against the Eclipse in Louisville, Kentucky. Good for him. Yeah, so we're going to do an episode on Moses uh, later because he absolutely deserves his own episode. Yeah. I haven't read a whole lot about his career, but it's definitely worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this brings us to 1882 because that was a big year for Louisville baseball, but really just baseball as a whole. So the National League is the dominant professional baseball league right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so to compete, uh, the American Association was founded, and Louisville was going to be a charter member. So now, basically, Major League Baseball is coming back to Louisville, and the Eclipse get to be the new Grays, as it were. Yeah, like a real team now. Yeah. So Louisville, they joined the American Association along with five other teams, uh, the Baltimore Orioles, the Philadelphia Athletics, the Cincinnati Red Stockings, the Pittsburgh Alleghenies, and the St. Louis Browns. Of these three teams, of the, excuse me, of these six teams, three of them still exist today, and you know them as the Cincinnati Reds, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. The same franchise. They're still around. Yeah. They just change <clears throat> names a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about how the how the Pirates became the Pirates because it's a it's a political story, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm down. Um. So the American Association was super cool because they were the first to make innovations to make baseball a real spectator sport. The American Association, they called the National League the Rich Man's League, Mm -hmm. which wasn't, they didn't mean that kindly. Uh, The National League had a bunch of rules for, like, they would not play games on Sundays. It was 10 cents to get into a game, which, you know, was significant back in these days. Yeah, that's like, that's like 25 bucks. Yeah, so to compete with that, the American Association did play games on Sundays. And admission was just a nickel to get in. Wow! So more like yeah, so more like blue collar families could come and watch baseball. And also, a lot of these teams were sponsored by breweries and distilleries, (laughs) so they served beer and whiskey at the games. (laughs) I like I like the American League. Yeah, they were the first to do that, and so the National League gave the American Association the moniker the Beer and Whiskey League, (laughs) which also which also wasn't nice, but is way cooler than the National League. Uh, but now the National League serves beer and whiskey at all their <laughs> at all their Great. venues, so <laughs> who wins? Yeah. yeah, fair enough. So, Pete made his, quote, Major League debut 
on May 2nd, 1882 against St. Louis, where he went hitless in four at-bats. Hmm. However, on the so third and the... Yeah. On the third and the fourth, Pete went two for three twice, scoring runs and getting an extra base hit in both games. Great. On May 5th, Louisville had their home opener where they defeated St. Louis 2-1 with Browning again going two for three with, with an extra base hit. Right. Quote, The boss hit of the day was made by Browning who sent the spear clear over Jackson Walker's head in center field and he was playing far out too. End quote. <laughs> he was playing far out. <clears throat> Uh, so even though we're only four games into the season, Pete's batting average set at 461 with two doubles and a triple to his name. That's pretty good. Yeah, that, not, that's a great way to start off a season. This is a great, yeah, uh, real hot start. Uh, Pete always kept track of his batting average because he would write it on the cuff of his sleeve, and then after the game he would put it into a book. So he always knew exactly what his batting average was. That's some narcissism right there. <laughs> His first major league home run came on May 16th in a 5-3 loss to Philadelphia. Along with his home run, Pete also hit a double and scored twice. Uh, he's so, yeah, yeah, he's he's a monster. Well, because he made his eyes so strong staring oh, at the yeah, sun. Oh, yeah, of course. He, it's like when he looks at the ball, it, since it's like since it's white, it's the same yeah. color as the sun. Yeah, and, and he's like, I see this. That's why he can hit it so, be- uh, so much better than the other people, because he's like, I've been practicing for this. <laughs> So he's hammered, too. And he's hammered. Uh, on May 27th, the Eclipse played an exhibition game against an independent team in Atlantic City. Uh, this Atlantic City team was formidable because they would defeat every team in the American Association over mm-hmm. the course of the season. So even though they're minor league, like they're this is a good team. Yeah. Uh, but Pete's reputation preceded him. And Atlantic City team implemented a ground rule before the game that any ball hit over the fence would only be a double. <laughs> That's what? <laughs> yeah, they're like, Do home runs does not exist. Yeah, they're like, there are no home runs this game. That, you only get a double. That sucks. That's like the worst rule ever. <laughs> Literally on Pete's first at bat of the game, he hit a line drive home run to straightaway center field. So he hit a home run. And it was but it like, was a double. Yeah, so he's running around the bases. And as he was informed that he had only hit a double, quote, Pete went into the air and declared, that's the longest hit I ever made. It's still going. <laughs> I would have said that, too. It's like, your rules suck. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I'd be pissed. Yeah, I'd just keep running. Pete continued his explosive hitting campaign during a June 18th game against Baltimore, where he went 3-for-4 with a double, leading the Eclipse to 11-1 victory. Baltimore's only run of the game came when Orioles hitter Ed Whitting sent a fly ball to center field that, in any other circumstance, would have been fielded, except a horse ran onto the field and prevented Louisville's center player from making the play. A horse? <laughs> a horse ran on the field. I guess there is no equestrian interference rule. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> so they're like, hey, you there didn't catch also, it. There must also like not be fences. There some, weren't. <laughs> yeah. There's just like no fences. So it's like, imagine you're out in the outfield. I got it. I got there's, yeah, there's a horse, horse that comes by and like almost checks you. It's like, oh, yeah. Huh? Well, like, some some parks did have fences, some parks didn't. It yeah. really depended. And so a lot of home runs were hit just because dudes hit it so far away that <laughs> you yeah, just couldn't like, go yeah, get it in time. Or fire. instead of a fence, it would just be, like, a rope. And yeah. so a horse can just jump over there right. <laughs> and ruin you from that's, stop you from making so a play. Stupid. It's so stupid. Yeah, so Whitting reaches base, <laughs> uh, being assisted by a horse. From equestrian interview. Yeah. The following at bat, Whitting stole second. Uh, the catcher attempted to throw out the runner, but his throw went into center field, allowing Whitting to run all the way home and score. <laughs> all right. That's one way to do it. Thanks, horse. Thanks, horse. <laughs> I wonder if you got an assist on that. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> they like they like scribble his name in on the on the score sheet. Horse. <laughs> like right underneath yeah. the nine slot. Horse. Just horse. <laughs> so like I said, Pete was a great hitter, but he had a negative defensive war over his career. Right. So as the season went on, uh, the Courier Journal became increasing critical, increasingly critical of Pete's fielding and running abilities. After a four to three loss to the Athletics, the paper had this to say: "Quote." Browning, as a second baseman, is a failure, a fact that all lovers of the sport discovered long ago, but of which the management of the Eclipse Club seem yet to be oblivious. They may possibly discover it by the end of the season after he has lost them more games than they can afford to lose and when too late to remedy the evil. He knows how to bat, but he should be placed in the outfield and put under severe training in base running. <laughs> all right, so it, what, it's, what it sounds like sports journalists were back then was they just got, like, some dude's dad that watches baseball and gets really upset about it. And they're like, hey, man, can you, can you like, write this in our paper? Yeah. And they're, the guy's like, yeah, that game sucked. Yeah, like, I'm if, get mad. Like, if you did right. well that game, they loved you. If you did poorly that game, they hated you, and you should quit baseball forever. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's changed. It, it, it sounds like my dad whenever we watch sports. Yeah, basically, yeah. So the journal runs that scathing article on Pete, and the Eclipse management must have read it because they did move Pete from second base to shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> arguably, like an even harder yeah, like, position to play. Arguably the most important defensive position on the field, at least in the infield. Oh, God. <laughs> this made the Courier-Journal furious. <laughs> and the following day ran this note of the game. Quote, Browning made an appearance on the ball field most palpably under the influence of liquor, and yet the management permitted him to enter the game. There is not another player in the nine who under the same conditions would have been allowed to come on the field. Browning opened for the eclipse in an imbecile attempt to strike the ball, but had it been a balloon, the result might probably have been the same. <laughs> so they're trying to say he sucks at hitting. Um, he went two for four this game. They won the game seven to four. And they still, like, shit on him. <clears throat> they still shit on him. To be fair, Pete did make three errors in this game. But they won 7-4, so who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, the Courier-Journal, well, there's no in-between for them, as you will see the further we get into this story. Okay, great, great. <laughs> so They're either, oh, yes, you're the best baseball player of all time, or you suck and you should never step foot on a diamond ever again you can't even hit a balloon you loser <laughs> yes that's so funny all right so louisville would go on to finish third in the american association cincinnati won the pennant that year pete would be that season's batting champion finishing with a batting average of 378 378 yeah so little caveat here during this era of baseball walks still counted as hits okay. however you had to get seven balls for a walk. So, like, I don't know how frequently walks happened in this time. So even though, yes, his average is a little inflated because he's getting walked and not, like, proper hits. But it's a seven-ball walk. Yeah, it's still four. 378, and that's insane. Yeah, that's nuts. The next closest hitter to Pete was 36 point behind him, and he even beat the highest National League average by 10 points. <laughs> Not only that, that he also so crazy. he led the league in home runs and walks that year. <laughs> this guy is like 1870s Barry Bond. Basically. <laughs> this is just the beginning, too. Oh, it good. gets way more insane. So, 1883 starts. Uh, Pete's salary with the Eclipse is increased to $260 a month, which is about $6,700 today. That's a lot. 
uh, and the American Association added two more teams, the New York Metropolitans and the Columbus Buckeyes. Neither of these uh, franchises are around anymore, but the New York Metropolitans name still exists, even though it's a different franchise. (laughs) Yes, it is. So on July 22nd, the Eclipse got beat pretty bad by st louis losing 14 to 4 uh this blowout losses because uh well everyone on the eclipse was injured but they still took the field anyway <laughs> the even same... though they couldn't like do anything yeah like everyone was hurt <laughs> i guess they didn't have as many replacement players at their disposal just like go out there basically oh, so God. the st louis republican wrote this at the game quote at about 2 p.m yesterday an ambulance rolled out grand avenue in the direction of sportsman's park and, to the surprise of 12,000 people, there assembled, drove in, and from its door issued a stream of cripples and invalids in various stages of capacity and incapacity. From the uncertain gait of Captain Demerimac to the faltering steps of the debilitated Falstaff, and for some moments, queries were advanced as to who they were. At last, they were recognized as the Louisville team, <laughs> who were about to play the St. Louis Nine in the eighth game of their series that afternoon. I hate these newspapers, man. Yeah. <laughs> really weird wording. Uh, they even said they went on the field under most depressing circumstances. Depressing <laughs> circumstances. What I'm imagining is, like, instead of a clown car and all of the clowns come out of the little car, it's an ambulance and all of the baseball players come It's just come a bunch of, of like, limping dudes. They're like, ah, my knee. <laughs> ah, it's like, uh, how are we supposed to, like, hit? Like, yeah. Guy's got, like, a cast on his arm. I don't know how they're supposed to hit either, but Pete still did, even though his season was marred by injuries. He still maintained a 338 batting average for the year, which was good for second in the league. It's like, ah, I'm hurt, but I'm going to be the second best hitter. Yeah, in still all of the baseball. greatest, basically. Um, so 1883 really wasn't that eventful in Pete's life. Uh, well, at least that season. So I'm just going to skip ahead to 1884, which was another very big year for baseball. The American Association added five more teams to the league. However, four of them would fold after one season. <laughs> The only franchise that did not fold was the Brooklyn Atlantics. Not only did they not fold, they still exist today. But you know them as the Los Angeles Dodgers. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yep. Because it was the, wasn't it the, the they, Brooklyn Dodgers originally? Yeah, so the Atlantics, Brooklyn Atlantics as they are right now, they changed their name a lot. <laughs> They're going to keep coming up in the story, and I'll let you know. Because <laughs> okay. they were the Atlantics, they were the Grays. Uh, when they joined the National League, they were the bridegrooms for a little while. Bridegrooms? <laughs> the bridegrooms. Uh, eventually, they changed the name to Dodgers and then moved out to Los Angeles. Okay. So it's a, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of convoluted. So 1884 was also the first year a World Series was played between the American Association and National League. Uh, the New York Mets represented the American Association. And even though I said this wasn't the same Mets franchise that we know mm-hmm. today, they behaved like it because they got swept out of the World Series in three games by the Providence Grays. <laughs> Sorry, Mets. Sorry, Mets. <laughs> um, yeah, so back then the World Series really wasn't played like it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only a five-game series initially, and there were a bunch of different versions of the World Series. The modern World Series didn't really start until the early 1900s, mm-hmm. but this was like the very first version of it it's like oh we got to have like like a championship somehow yeah so they're like oh this works and it was also significant because now the national league is they're recognizing the american association basically they're saying you have the same level of talent we do yeah and now let's play a championship with our best teams okay so it's big it's good very good for the sport um unfortunately early in the season pete fell into a hitting slump really erratic he could never really get a big rhythm going Mm -hmm. and uh so one day 
uh, John Andrew, nicknamed Bud Hillerich, had just opened a bat factory in Louisville with his father, uh, Johann Friedrich Hillerich, and, being an Eclipse fan, offered to make Pete a custom bat to his liking. It wasn't hitting very well. Right. Pete accepted the offer, and upon receiving his new bats, immediately broke out of his slump, collecting three hits the following day. This began the practice of players having customized bats, which still continues today. Huh. So okay. he was the first guy to have customized bats. Wait, is this some, like, Robert Redford, the natural stuff? Where he's got a special magic bat that lets him hit everything? Sort of, <laughs> uh, but it's not actually magic. It's not magic. He's just like, oh, I like this. Yeah, so uh, Pete was the first player to pay very close attention to his bats, and he was deeply superstitious about them. Mm. If he fell into a hitting slump, he thought the bat simply didn't have any hits left in it, and he would retire it. He kept his retired <laughs> he kept his retired bats in his childhood home where his mother still lived. The bats Pete used measured 37 inches long and weighed three pounds, which even for his era was an enormous bat size. Yeah. For reference, compared to modern bats, Pete's bats were three inches longer and a full pound heavier than what most players use today. <laughs> yeah, like I have a bat right here. And it's like, imagine this being three inches longer. We're actually about to talk about that right now. Because the Hillerich Bat Company is still around today. They're known as the Hillerich and Bradsby Company. And they even released a line of bats bearing one of Pete's nicknames, the Louisville Slugger. Whoa! Yep. <laughs> Whoa! You knew who it was the whole time. <laughs> oh my god, I knew who it was. And... <laughs> Do you just need to sit with it for a little bit? Yeah, like... I'm just... <laughs> Man. Okay, alright. Yep, that's him, the Louisville Slugger. The Louisville Slugger. It was an alcoholic who stared directly into the sun. <laughs> they could have named it anything, but they named it after Pete. They named it after him. So, on October 6th, with a little more than a week left in the season, uh, the pennant was out of reach for the team. And so they didn't want to use one of their normal pitchers, so Pete made his first Major League pitching appearance. Remember last time, he pitched a shutout inning against the Grays as a minor league player. He was like 16? Yeah, he was 16. So now he's, I guess what, that was, what, three years ago, two years ago? So he's about 17, 18 now. Okay. Um, So he takes the mound. Uh, he gave up three walks, two hits, and was charged with a wild pitch, and he gave up three runs. He only recorded a single out before he was pulled from the mound, <laughs> leaving Pete with a career 0-1 mound record and an ERA of 54. Oh, God. And that's not 54 point anything. It's exactly 54. <laughs> that's kind of impressive. It's like that discussion that we always have. It's like, if you go in... For one inning, get no outs and give up one run. Do you have an ERA of infinity? Technically, yes, but the league just says you don't. Rec- they just don't record an ERA for you. Yeah. <laughs> so mathematically, <laughs> you would have an ERA of infinity, but uh, math. math. Baseball's dumb. Baseball's dumb. <laughs> uh, so that was Pete's only uh, major league bound appearance. <laughs> he would never pitch again at a major league level. I can't blame him. Um, I mean, Pete and the Eclipse played well this season but they didn't win the pennant. They finished third again, and Pete also finished third in the league with the batting race. Uh, he had a 336 batting average this year. He's just, like, on fire. He's, yeah, he's a monster. Well, he has a three-pound bat that's just enormous. <laughs> he's got this giant hunk of wood that he just destroys yeah. balls with. 
I mean, he kept it up because in 1885, he won his second batting title in four years. Between May 20th and October 1st, Pete had 12 two-hit games, seven three-hit games, five four-hit games, and two five-hit games. He ended the 1885 season with a batting average of 362. This guy's nuts. No one gets five-hit games. Like, no one gets five-hit games. It's so rare to see it, and he did it twice in one season. (laughs) Crazy. So, uh, Pete opened the 1886 season with a bang, but not with his bat. In an exhibition game against the Detroit Wolverines, Pete had a big defensive highlight where he, quote, made a circus catch of a dizzy fly ball in center field. Apparently, though, the excitement was too much for Browning that early in the season because he missed the next day's game. If you're wondering why he missed the following game, uh, it's because Pete was the gladiator that night. Uh, Quote, Mr. Pete Browning celebrated the victory over Detroit Thursday by indulging in a glorious drunk. (laughs) He imbibed unknown quantities of intoxicants after the game and at night spread terror throughout the city. Spread terror. (laughs) His victorious war whoop could be heard for several miles and so frightened the policemen that they took to shelter in their hiding places. Manager Jim Hart found the player at a late hour and immediately assessed him with a fine of $25. (laughs) He was so loud, he scared the cops away. Yeah, they're like, we're not, we're not dealing like, not with this, dealing with this is, This is, uh, we don't get paid enough for this. Uh, unsurprisingly, Pete showed up late to the game the following Friday, where he was fined another $5, and worst of all, was not permitted to play that day. According to newspaper accounts, Pete watched the game from the grandstands and just cried, because he was so sad and that he couldn't play. Cried. Yeah. He just cried. Look, <laughs> I know I'm kind of telling you a lot of crazy stories about this dude, but the thing that we do need to focus on is like pete really really loved baseball way more than anything yeah and he was good at it he was really good at it and teammate once said of him quote if pete had to quit playing he would die of a broken heart in a month i mean that's how much he loved baseball that's that's a bold statement yeah uh pete did redeem himself the following day though going two for five with a double uh defeating pittsburgh 14 to three for the first seven weeks of the season, Pete hit like he always did, collecting seven three-hit games and eight two-hit games along the way. However, in early June, Pete hit probably the worst slump of his career. For more than two weeks, Pete had several hitless games, prompting the Courier-Journal to write, quote, Pete Browning seems to be a played-out player. He is no good anymore. On June 26, Pete was suspended for one week for, quote, incompetent playing. <laughs> incompetent playing. Yeah. They're like, hey, man, you suck right now, so just... Stop playing for a little while. So we'll find somebody else. Um, At the time of his suspension, Pete's batting average was the highest on the Eclipse, although he did carry a fielding percentage of 791. uh, That's terrible. Yeah, that's very bad. (laughs) That means that... You're fielding less than 80% of the balls hit your way. Yeah. You're making a ton of errors if your fielding percentage is 791. The Courier-Journal added insult to injury, writing, quote... Pete has lost several games for the club this year, and it was only a matter of dire necessity that he was suspended without pay. After his suspension ended, Pete rejoined the team for a game against the Mets, where he again went hitless. Following this performance, he was once again suspended for incompetent playing. This time, he was suspended for a month. Mm. Pete ended up missing 24 games this season due to suspensions, which at this time was roughly one-fifth of the season. Mm -hmm. So he's suspended for a month. The newspapers is trashing him every day. <laughs> I mean, Pete... The really, Louisville newspaper yeah. sucks. So Pete really needs a win right now. He tried to stick it to the Courier-Journal by proving that he could, in fact, write. To prove, to, every, to prove everyone wrong, 
Pete sent his regards to the journal, ending the typed note with his signature in longhand, where his name was barely legible and horribly misspelled. <laughs> oh yeah, he's illiterate. Yeah, <laughs> he's illiterate because he like dropped out of school. And they were making, they were, they were calling him out for that. They were like, "Oh, he can't read or write. This guy's an idiot. He should be playing baseball." Blah, blah. So I will pull it up for you later because it's in this book that I have. Um, it's really bad. <laughs> like, it's, he's like actually it's, illiterate. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> But uh, look, this is a gladiator. Never count him out. <laughs> On August 8th, this is three days after he rejoined the lineup, Pete went four for five against the Mets and hit for the cycle. For those unaware, hitting for the cycle is where you hit a single, a double, a triple, and a home run all in the same game. It's incredibly rare, and Pete did it after not playing for a month. <laughs> <laughs> and probably drunk. Yeah, probably most likely drunk. Pete was back with a vengeance. Between August 9th and, and October 4th, Pete had nine three-hit games and three four-hit games. Oh, my God. He's back, He's baby. Back. He's back. <laughs> the gladiator's back. He must have got a new bat. Definitely got a new bat. <laughs> he just retired a bunch of them. Uh, Pete was chasing his second batting title in a row, and it literally came down to the final game of the season. He was in second place to his own teammate, who was a pitcher by the name of Guy Hecker. Guy Hecker. That's a good name. That's a great name, especially for baseball. Great yeah. baseball name. So Pete's batting average was 337. Hecker's was 343. So Pete needs to get a bunch of hits this game, and Hecker has to get no hits if Pete's going to win the batting title. So it's possible. The game starts. The Eclipse lost the game 8-6 to six against Pittsburgh. But Pete went 3-5 for five with a triple, while Hecker went 1-5. for five. When all was said and done, Pete ended the season with 159 hits and 467 at-bats, good for a batting average of 340. Guy Hecker finished with 117 hits and 343 at-bats for a batting average of 341, a percentage point. Oh, man. Guy Hecker is the only player in Major League history to have both a pitching triple crown and a batting title to his name. That's nuts. Yeah. Uh, the pitching triple crown is when you lead the league in um, ERA, strikeouts, and games won, just for those who don't know. And this guy has both of them <laughs> by a percentage point. By a percentage point. Uh, Pete's loss of the batting title is attributed to his lengthy suspensions. Yeah, he was gone for <clears throat> over a month. Yeah, he was gone for a long time. But also, look, Hecker's a pitcher, so he didn't hit every day. He only hit in the games he was pitching in. Right. So he had significantly less hits, but significantly less at-bats than Pete did, too. Right. So it's like... Kind of not fair. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. The numbers. And baseball's dumb. <laughs> baseball's dumb. Probably the strangest story from this season was during a September game. Pete was a runner on first base when something caught his attention. While we don't know what it was, it was apparently so captivating that Pete didn't notice the opposing pitcher came off the mound and was running directly at him with the ball and tagged him out with it. <laughs> And he was standing off first base, so he's free game <laughs> to be tagged out. It was the first and so far only recorded instance of an unassisted pickoff play in the history of Major League Baseball. Why? Like, here's my question. First of all, that was really stupid of, of Pete. <laughs> but second of all, who who the hell does this pitcher think he is? He can run towards first base in a full sprint to tag out this guy. You dare charge the gladiator, you who the, fool. Who the hell does this guy think he is? Um, I mean, 
And he did it too. That's it's, the that's the worst part. It'll probably never happen again. It it, it will never happen again. It's just like I don't know. I think Pete's kind of like the Forrest Gump of baseball. <laughs> you know I mean? He's a prodigy, but he's also an idiot. Yeah, and he keeps just ending up in these massive historic moments. <laughs> he was there for Moses Walker's game. <laughs> he's the only guy to get tagged out unassisted by a pitcher. <laughs> he made there's a bat named after there's him. There's a bat named after him. He lost a the batting title by one percentage point to a pitcher. He, this guy, he's just there. He's just like, I just want to play baseball. And all of this stuff yep. is going on around him. He's like, well, I guess I better drink some more. Yeah. I mean, remember, he started on Friday the 13th. Yep, that's it. Foreshadowing. So, yep. So the opening of the 1887 season had a peculiar start. Pete hit a double and scored in an 8-3 to victory over St. Louis. When the game ended, quote, Pete endeavored to throw a somersault in excessive joy, but landed on his back and badly hurt himself. <laughs> he later signed with Louisville for $1,800. The day after he signed that, Pete was arrested for trying to pay his streetcar fare with a check after 6 p.m. Is that... Apparently you couldn't do that. <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess that was illegal in the 1880s. <laughs> so uh, Pete spent the season chasing the batting title once again and finished the season with a 402 batting average. But in classic Pete fashion, it was good for second place. <laughs> this, so, this guy is like the Mike Trout of the 1880s. Yeah. Because it's like, I was like, oh man, this guy, he had the worst year ever that he's ever had. You know, he is suspended and all of this stuff. Oh, you get second place in the batting title. Yeah, it's like Mike Trout. It's like, oh, Mike Trout, he had the worst season ever. He gets MVP. Yeah, like, basically. And also, we'll get to more of this later, but Pete was a really good player on a bunch of really shitty teams. That's true. <laughs> Mostly really shitty Louisville teams. <laughs> Sorry, Louisville. <laughs> Sorry, Louisville. So in 1888, Pete's batting average dropped to his career low for the time. Want to know what it was? Like 320. You're close. It was 313. <laughs> Uh, but oh, that's because man. everybody's batting average dropped that year. The league brought back this, the three-strikeout rule and no longer counted a walk as a hit. Uh, Pete's average also dropped because, once again, he was being suspended a lot. Uh, Eclipse manager John Kelly implemented what was basically the Pete rule. The Pete rule. <laughs> Quote, drinking will not be allowed. First offense, $25 fine. Second offense, $50 fine. Third offense, suspension. <laughs> Pete would end up missing about 30 games of the season from suspension. Oh my god. This guy's, he is so drunk that he would like, he was suspended a whole month of the season. Yeah, just for drinking. But good things on the horizon. On April 17th of that season, Pete took an oath of sobriety after an evangelist spoke to the team about the dangers of drinking. Pete got sober and he went on a tear. Between April 23rd and June 16th, he had three two hit games, three three hit games, two four-hit games, and a five-hit game. Wow. But all good things must come to an end. Alcohol um, is poison, I yep. say, as I drink this beer. <laughs> yeah, we both have beers, which thank you for buying again, by the way. Yeah. Uh, on June 18th, the Courier-Journal wrote, quote, Pete Browning is a blue-ribbon man no more. He fell from grace in Kansas City last Monday, and since then has been apparently endeavoring to make up for the time he lost while wearing the Murphy badge. He got roaring drunk Monday, but was put to bed before he had a chance to show what a large-sized ass he is when under the influence of liquor. But on Tuesday, his sense of humor developed with 
developed with each drink he took, and it was but a short time until he had purchased fishing tackle and begun fishing in the gutter in front of the hotel. It rained heavily, and the gutter was full of water, and he couldn't resist the temptation to show how much he loved it except as a beverage. He made so much fuss about the hotel that he was put out of it and came near landing in jail. He refused to go to the <laughs> he refused to go with the club to Cincinnati Tuesday night and was less and was left in Kansas City where he probably is yet. <laughs> they just left him there. Yep. They're like, if you're just going to get drunk and pretend to fish in the gutter, just stay in Kansas City. <laughs> Man. That's like, that sounds like a college story. <laughs> Basically. That's like, hey man, if you're going to get too plastered, we're just going to leave you at this bar, alright? <laughs> like, you find your own way home. He's like, I'm fishing. <laughs> I'm fishing. Look at this gutter. It's full of water. Ha uh, ha. Uh, he was allowed back on the team after being hit with a fine of $100. <laughs> This incident earned him yet another nickname, the Lone Fisherman. <laughs> the Lone Fisherman? Uh, Pete redeemed himself on his first game back, going three for four with a triple. On Sunday, July 22nd, the Courier-Journal ran an article about Pete missing the previous day's game. He was sick in bed with filiousness? Is that how you say it? A liver dysfunction in which the liver secretes an excessive amount of bile. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. However you pronounce that. I think it's... I think it's... Biliousness. Billy, okay. He had biliousness. His liver was bad. His liver was bad. <laughs> I wonder why his liver was bad. <laughs> um, and also, he had a high fever. Quote, The old hero's mustache had taken a melancholy curl and droop, and his brow was swathed in bandages and ice. <laughs> read, that, read that again. Please read that again. <laughs> the old hero's mustache had taken a melancholy curl and droop, and his brow was swathed in bandages and ice. <laughs> His mustache looked sad. <laughs> His mustache looked sad, and he was sweating. So, Pete's pretty sick, and it was thought that he would not play for several days. But you're forgetting that this is the gladiator we're talking about. Because the day this article ran, he played in that game where he went two for four with a double and scored twice. This guy. This guy. <laughs> you cannot kill this man. <laughs> So, a couple weeks later, Pete was suspended yet again after being arrested for getting into a fight with a deaf and mute man. <laughs> so, during the suspension, this is one of my favorite stories of Pete's. Uh, Pete had a run-in with a city councilman by the name of William L. Lyons, who was, quote, a fat and dignified man, does not patronize saloons, is unfamiliar with saloon slang, and is altogether a dignified and respectable member of society. One night, Lyons rode a streetcar, and it was like a rainy night in Louisville. So yeah. he's riding a streetcar, a streetcar, and a soaking wet Pete Browning gets on board and sits next to him. After he, quote, shook himself like a water spaniel and sprinkled the respectable councilman, who was ensconced comfortably in a corner seat. Pete then drew a wet cigar from his coat and asked Lyons for a light. Now, Lyons already had a cigar that was lit, so he used, like, the end of his cigar to light Pete's. Yeah. So... Pete gets his cigar lit, and then he tells Lyons to get rid of his cigar, because Pete wanted to give him one. So he pulls another soaking wet cigar out of his overcoat. Uh, when Pete took off, when, when Pete reached into his coat to get cigars, everyone could see that he had no clothes on underneath. He was just wearing... <laughs> like a jacket. Yeah, he was just wearing the coat with wet cigars in it. What? <laughs> and he makes Lyons smoke this cigar. The cigar that's been, yeah. like, on his naked body. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they sat there in silence for a little bit, smoking their cigars, until Pete broke the silence, saying, quote, I don't believe you can beat two threes and three deuces. 
<laughs> Lions replies, You are a stranger to me, sir, and I have never played poker in all my life. I'll bet you $50 that you can't beat three deuces and two trays. Lions, I never bet. Oh, you never bet? Hey! Old Pete didn't come from Moorhead. You are looking for something soft, but I ain't no greener. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll bet $50 you can beat two trays and three deuces ponies out of the stable. <laughs> Once again. Is this English? It's, this is old-timey gambling slang. <laughs> All right. Once again, Lions replies timidly, I never bet. <laughs> I never bet. At this, Pete flared up, assumed a dangerous scowl, jerked the streetcar bell, and, grabbing the councilman, dragged him from the car and into a low saloon where he compelled the councilman to drink stale, stale common beer and learn the mysteries of poker dice. <laughs> it's like, you're gonna do it. You're gonna do it. <laughs> he has no idea. This is like some... You know, bigwig local politician, and he's like, fuck you, learn how to play poker. <laughs> I'm going to make you drink and play poker. Ah, it's like college. <laughs> so let's jump ahead to 1889. Louisville got off to a hot start with six straight losses. Pete collected just three singles from all of those games. The Courier-Journal was quick to jump on Pete, as always, as saying, always. quote, it is probable that Pete Browning will be assigned to the benchwarming act. <laughs> Uh, Browning was benched a day later after an 0-4 outing. Eventually, Pete found his rhythm and started hitting well again. However, the team continued to struggle. So much so that rumors began to swell about the team being sold off by the owner, Mordecai Davidson. Mordecai Davidson. That's an old-timey name. That's the fucking best name in the world. That's awesome. Mordecai Davidson. Like, that just sounds like the dude from... You know, it's like 1920s silent films who's tying the girl to the train tracks. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got the, like, the handlebar mustache yeah. and he's twirling it and he, like, <laughs> sneaks away. Uh, there isn't a lot about Mordecai. I tried to read about him. Uh, all I know is that he was kind of a shitty baseball manager and he also fought in the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> but he fought on the Union side, so that's good. At Fair least. enough. Um, so he's trying to sell the team to the American Association. He doesn't want control of it anymore. But the team became difficult to sell as, uh, oh, Louisville, ah, I didn't write this down from earlier. Uh, they did change their name from the Eclipse, and they're now known as the Colonels. The Louisville Colonels. Yeah, they've been, ah, they changed their name before this season. I forgot to write it down. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, but they're the Colonels now. Um, but the Colonels went on to lose 26 consecutive games. <laughs> A losing streak that stands today in the MLB. It's the all-time record still. 26 straight. 26. One year later, the Philadelphia Athletics came close to the record with 22 consecutive losses. They would have lost 23 in a row, but the team folded before they could lose anymore. <laughs> um, like, all right, just stop. Just stop. We're no, you're done. So uh, here's a the only other longest losing streak I could find in professional in the big four professional American sports was in the NBA. Uh, the NBA's longest losing streak belongs to, well, Philadelphia. <laughs> the 76ers who lost 28 consecutive games across two seasons. That's terrible. This broke the previous NBA record of 26 games, which was also held by the 76ers. <laughs> Poor Philadelphia. Sorry, Philadelphia. <laughs> Uh, during this losing streak, however, Pete contributed a 5 for 6 game where he hit for the cycle again. Man. This guy's got two cycles. Yeah, it is rare to see anybody do it, but to see somebody do it twice is just insane. The all-time record is three. Mm -hmm. There's some debate as to whether Pete hit three or not. Uh, two of them are confirmed, and one is up for debate as to whether or not it actually happened. 
Uh, but we know for sure he hit two. For sure two. <clears throat> but even that two is still... Yeah, two is nuts. Yeah, Most people don't yeah. get one. Yeah. It's, that's just how... He's just such an insane hitter. So after the Colonels lost their 14th straight game, uh, they narrowly avoided being the victims of the Johnstown flood in Pennsylvania. And uh, so when your team's lost 14 games in a row, how do you think the newspaper feels about this team? Oh, they're pissed. They're absolutely pissed. I think pissed is an understatement here. <laughs> Quote, if the entire team had been standing in front of the Johnstown Reservoir when it broke last Friday evening, the majority of people in Louisville would have viewed the calamity as a just visitation of Providence. Oh my god! <laughs> the newspaper just said, yeah, they're better off if they drowned. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I wish they fucking died. Oh my god. We lose 14 straight games. <laughs> so... This is, like... <laughs> This is just some angry dad writing the newspaper. <laughs> it's like, man, this guy just, like, like they just all should have died. Like, they're not even worth it anymore. And Johnstown was a, this was, like, huge news at the time. It was a horrible tragedy for the country. And the, the home team newspaper is like, I wish they were in that tragedy. <laughs> I wish they were among the body count. Jeez. <laughs> so, unsurprisingly... The Colonels finished dead last in the league with a record of 27 wins to 111 losses. That is that like that's like got to be one of the worst records. It's one of the worst records of all time. They had a winning percentage of 196. They didn't even hit two. They didn't even win 20% of their games. They were 66 and a half games behind first place, and they were 33 games behind the next closest team. That's so awful. <laughs> they finished eighth out of eight. And the seventh place team had 33 more wins than they That's did. That's so crazy. I feel like you have to try <laughs> to be that bad as I, a professional. How do you even team? lose 26? That's insane. How do you lose 28 in a row? I don't know. Like the NFL losing record is uh, 26 games. It was, I think it was Tampa Bay. <laughs> or, yeah, the Buccaneers lost 26 straight. So they're tied with the Colonels that they haven't broken. 26 straight. That's almost like two full seasons. Yeah, I think that is. Oh, yeah, because it's, wait, yeah, it's, 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 they have a 16-game season. Yeah, 16 almost two games. full seasons. Almost two full seasons. That's not winning a game. Terrible season. Yeah, <laughs> 1889. No so in 1890, Pete and Louisville parted ways. The Colonels have been sold off by Mordecai, and Pete signed a contract with a Cleveland team. Uh, they were called the Cleveland Infants. That's such a, that's a... Yeah. That's as bad of a name as White Soil. Yeah, G-Bone. Cleveland. You know what's going to strike fear into the hearts of our opponents? Babies. <laughs> like, oh, here come the babies. If the babies have taken the, the field. <laughs> yeah, the infants are taking the field. So the infants were not in the American Association or the National League. This was, this was a brand new uh, professional league. It was called the Players League. There's a lot of politics to this that I'm not really going to get into, but basically players in the NL and the AA were fed up with um, just how those leagues were run because it was very manager-focused. And so the Players League was basically like kind of a union almost. Yeah. And through this, the first Players Union did come out. Um, A bunch of players had been going on strike, and so they just formed the Players League. So this is a professional league just focused for the players, basically, which is awesome. So uh, Pete had some bad blood with his old team. After a cyclone ripped through Louisville in early April, which I guess means a tornado, um, (laughs) uh, in early April, Pete told the St. Louis Republic, quote, the cyclone could have been forgiven if it had only hit the Louisville team. (laughs) 
What's up with what's up with the newspaper and wanting the like Louisville team dead? <laughs> yeah, well first it was the journal and now it's Pete who wants oh, them to Pete yeah, who said that. Yeah, Pete said he wanted his old his old team dead. <laughs> oh my they just like nobody likes these teams. No one likes Louisville. Basically. And they're just like, Yeah, I wish they had drowned or gotten hit by a tornado. Yeah. <laughs> um but Pete wait. Pete's dad died in a tornado, too. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I wish you all died like my dad did. <laughs> That's so bad. That's awful. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Pete did have a great season in the Players League. Uh, it was the league's only year. It folded after one season. They did strong financially, but the owners of the teams just didn't think they could compete with the other two teams, so it folded. Yeah. yeah. Um, throughout the season, Pete had three two-hit games. Eight three hit games and two four hit games, and he finished the year with a batting average of three seventy three, which led the league and earned him his third batting title. Wow! His defense even made headlines this season. During a game against Chicago, Pete robbed a home run where he quote jumped in a northwesterly direction, turning four times in the air and stretching one arm for the ball in a manner of a boy after his second piece of pie. <laughs> Do you think this was embellished at all? <laughs> They're saying he jumped up, he, spun, he spun around. He spun four times like a little kid <laughs> trying to get more pie. Yeah, he was like, I'm going to get this ball. I'm, just I'm getting the pie. I'm getting the pie. <laughs> uh, so Pete makes a great catch and apparently had to doff his cap like a dozen times. Like the crowd was just cheering and he loved it when the crowd cheered for him. So he would just take off his hat and be like, yes, thank you. I am. I am the gladiator. <laughs> He's the gladiator. Um, the president of the Chicago team took exception to this play, saying, quote, Pete is seven feet high, and he jumps six feet into the air to pull down home runs. What does he want to do, kill off the sport entirely? <laughs> he was like, uh, that was great, but I wish he didn't do that anymore. <laughs> like, why are you so good at this, man? Like, stop it. So Pete's doing well. Back in Louisville, uh, his old team is also doing well. So well, in fact, they earned their first trip to the World Series where they face off against a familiar foe, the Brooklyn Bridegrooms. Formerly the Brooklyn Atlantics. Formerly the Brooklyn Grays. <laughs> and uh, the Bridegrooms had jumped from the American Association to the National League. So that's how they were able to okay. play each other. I gotcha. So the 1890 World Series is, I think, probably the dumbest World Series of all time. So here's what happened. That's, a, that's, that's bold. That's a bold claim. Uh, so Brooklyn won the first two games in Louisville. Game three ended with a 7-7 tie after eight innings, with bad weather forcing the game to be called. So nobody wins games three. <laughs> nobody wins game three. Louisville won game four, and the series went to Brooklyn. Brooklyn won game five, and the following day, Louisville answered with a game six win. So the series is sitting at three wins to two wins to one tie. Going into game seven, the managers of both teams agreed that if Louisville won game seven, the clubs would play an eighth game at a later date. Louisville won game seven, but an eighth game was never played. <laughs> the two teams are recognized as co-champions in a tied World Series. They they tied a World Series. The championship. Who's the best in baseball? Both of Both them. Both of them. <laughs> to be fair, so 1890, they didn't really have indoor stadiums or lighting and the weather was really bad the whole time they were playing this series. Yeah, like it's October in yeah. New York and in Louisville. <clears throat> and the weather continued to be bad after Game 7, and there was even more politics and players and managers fighting with each other. So just Game 8 never got played for just a bunch of reasons. 
But still, it's a World Series. Yeah, Somebody like, has to win. Like, someone's got to win. So that's why I think it's the dumbest World Series of all that's time. That's pretty stupid. <laughs> so, remember how in like 1877, well, really, everyone thought Pete was going to join the National League in 1878 and be on the Grays. Mm-hmm. But he didn't because the Grays got dissolved. Right. So we're at 1891 now, and Pete finally joins the National League as a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> In one of his first games as a National League player, with two runners on and nobody out, Pete bunted into a triple play in a one to nothing loss to Chicago. <laughs> Bunting into a triple play. So he hit perfectly towards third base. I guess. <laughs> two on, nobody out, bunt, triple play. Incredible. Only Pete. Only Pete. Only Pete, the Louisville slugger. Oh, uh, oh, by the way, Chicago scored their only run off of an error, which was made by Pete. <laughs> that figures. Yeah. Um, however, Pete was perhaps reaching his peak stardom. The New York Herald wrote a piece on him saying he was, quote, the eminent exponent of the manly art of baseball. Pete's fame is coextensive with the game of baseball. Consequently, he is known from coast to coast. Two years ago, he was a confirmed drunkard. Now he is a reformer, sober, hardworking, and respected. From the many stories that have been printed about Browning, the impression has gained ground that the gladiator is ignorant and stupid. On the contrary, he appeared to be decidedly sensible and well-read. Um, so yeah, after he was suspended in 1889, Pete got sober, and he's been off. He's not hitting the sauce anymore. Is he still illiterate? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. It's, like, they say he's illiterate, but apparently he, like, kept newspapers around because he would cut out good articles about himself and put them in, like, scrapbook. Okay. So he, he must have been able to read enough. Yeah, to, to know, like, read, like, that's yeah. my name. Yeah, that's Pete. That's old Pete that's right old there. That's old Pete right there. Because <laughs> he referred to himself in the third person. Yeah. Uh, so Pete spoke on his sobriety, saying, quote, I merely did the right thing. I just quit it there forever, and I'll never drink again as long as I live. It was for my own sake and my family's. Professional baseball puts more money into my hands than any other business ever could, and if I am a fool enough to incapacitate myself from playing this game by drinking, I deserve no sympathy at all. It'll be two years now this August since I took my last drink. I feel better every day and know that I have been benefited very much. Good for Pete. Good for Pete. We love you, Pete. Good for Pete. Uh, despite his sobriety, Pete remained very much his stubborn self and had a difficult relationship with his manager, Ned Hanlon. One game, Pete was instructed to sacrifice bunt for a runner and refused. Remember last time, he bunted into a triple play. <laughs> play. So he swung away and grounded into a double play, which ended the inning. <laughs> <laughs> this guy can't catch a break. He really can't. Another time, Ned fined Pete $5 for not having spikes on his shoes. According to uh, the Rules of Baseball, written by David Nemec. Nemec? N-E-M-E-C. Probably should have sounded that out before Name recording it. this. Like, David, yeah. So the rules of baseball. Uh, Browning was the last player on record to be fined for not wearing spikes on his shoes. In 1891? <laughs> in 1891, yeah. Um, after playing a mere 50 games with Pittsburgh, Pete was released from the team. But he was quickly signed to the Cincinnati Reds and even got a $300 pay raise. There you go. The Cincinnati Inquirer ran a headline to celebrate the acquisition of Pete, giving him his most ridiculous nickname yet. Quote, 
At last he is ours. Petro Gladiator Red Light Distillery Browning is a full-fledged <laughs> red stocking, and a right good red stocking is he. <laughs> Petro Gladiator Red Light Distillery Browning. Red Light Distillery Browning. Uh, oh, yeah, he really liked prostitutes. Probably should have said that earlier. <laughs> I figured that's where the red light came from. <laughs> Two days later, a story appeared in the Inquirer. Quote, Petro Browning put in the afternoon overhauling his bats. He went over every stick in his locker. He scrapped one and oiled another and arranged them in a good order. While he was engaged in an earnest discussion about lamps, peepers, and bats, someone took away several of his bats. When Pete got down to the Grand Hotel, he relieved himself. Quote, I never stole a bat in my life. No, I didn't, he said. Them Brooklyns won't take a bat. No, they won't. We had 44 bats when they drove out there today, and when they left, we could only find 10. I don't say the Brooklyns took them, but somebody made a wholesale swipe of a lot of good sticks. So we're two episodes into this show, and both have involved bat heists. Yeah, I was going to say, bats have been stolen twice in two episodes. Uh, In this article, uh, Pete also shared his bat collection. Remember, he kept all his retired bats. Right. How many bats do you think Pete has? It's got to be like over 100 bats. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. How many is it? 205. (laughs) Just at his house. The same house he was born in, where his mom still lives, there's just 200 bats laying around. Bats aren't small. They're not. And Pete got an even bigger one after a bunch of his got stolen, because he showed up to a park with a bat that was, quote, long as a rake handle, and got two hits with it. Guy. I guess there was no, like... They're like, all right, your bat has to be this big. Yeah, there weren't really a ton of rules for it yet. Um, yeah, he was just like, give me the biggest one you have. <laughs> give, me the, give me like a stick, like a huge <laughs> stick, and I'll hit with it. So on August 18th of that season, during a game against the Cleveland Spiders, it was the eighth inning, and Cleveland left fielder Jimmy McAleer came running into third base and kicked Cincinnati third baseman Arlie Latham, not once, but twice. <laughs> Latham responded by punching McAleer in the face, knocking him to the ground. This punch pissed off Cleveland catcher, whose name was Chief Zimmer. Chief Zimmer. <laughs> yeah. McAleer got up, ran to home plate, and grabbed the bat that had been dropped by the previous hitter. He then turned around and charged toward Latham with the bat above his head. <laughs> Among this charge were Chief Zimmer, Cleveland shortstop, Ed McKean, their pitcher, Leon Vial, and second baseman, Cupid Childs. We got Guy Hecker... <laughs> We got Chief Zimmer, Mordecai Davidson, Mordecai Davidson, and Cupid Child. And Cupid Ch- These aren't real. These can't be real names. <laughs> These are names that someone made up to sound American. Pete had a teammate whose name was uh, Jimmy Wolf, but his nickname was Chicken. So he is he was Chicken Wolf. He was Chicken Wolf. <laughs> These are not real names. These are names that someone made up. After Latham punches this dude, now. Um, Five Cleveland Spiders are chasing him. <laughs> so Latham ran for his life into the outfield. Some police who were in attendance hopped on the field and tried to break it up. Upon seeing the police jump the barrier, the crowd followed suit and charged the field as well. <laughs> Eventually, the police were able to surround Latham and protect him from the Cleveland players, and the crowd returned to their seats. From the beginning of this fight to the end, an hour had passed. <laughs> they wasted an hour they... chasing around baseball players. <laughs> The Spiders would win the game 6-2, with five of their runs coming in this very inning. (laughs) Oh, also, uh, Pete went 2-4 for in this game. (laughs) Good job, Pete. 
Good job, Pete. Keep on hitting. Um, Pete ended up missing the final month of this season from an injury, but still finished with a 317 batting average. Following the close of the 1891 season, the American Association folded, with four teams being absorbed into the National League. One of those teams was Louisville. So in 1892, Pete rejoined the Louisville team. How do you think the newspapers reacted to this? They were probably pissed, because they're always pissed. On the contrary, newspapers <laughs> celebrated running pieces stating Prodigal Pete has returned to the fold. Prodigal Pete. <laughs> there's, there's another nickname. His return was short-lived, however. Pete never found a rhythm and his play was erratic. After only two months, Pete was released by Louisville on May 17th. Once again, his free agency was short and he was once again signed by the Reds. His first game back on the Reds came on May 22nd, where his defelt helped Cincinnati to a four-over win over who else but Louisville. <laughs> a couple months later, Pete tried to innovate. He was like, listen, fielding is boring. I'm going to change the game. <laughs> so, what, most what guys... Could he, what could he be up to now? Most outfielders, if a ground ball comes their way, they field it just you know by reaching their glove down, picking up the ball like anybody else would do. Uh, but Pete, instead of doing that, uh, he would try and stop the ball with his shins. <laughs> the guy who refused to slide is now sliding all over the outfield trying to stop ground balls that come his way. <laughs> what? <laughs> Quote, Browning, instead of going after it with his hands, tried to stop it with his number 10s. The consequence was that he got tangled up, and before he could be straightened out, he had kicked the single into a triple. <laughs> Only a few days later, the Reds, too, released Pete. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so the Reds release him, but they still owed him money for games that he played. Right. So the Reds' team treasurer went to Pete's hotel to give him his check. But Pete was nowhere to, nowhere to be found, and nobody knew where he was. Several papers ran articles about Pete's disappearance. One even postulated, quote, can it be possible that the old war horse has gone on another fishing excursion to Kansas City? <laughs> he's back in Kansas City fishing in the gutter. Yeah, check that hotel. See if he's fishing out there. <laughs> um, after three weeks on August 8th, it was reported that Pete was at West Baden French Lick Springs. The previous time he had been there, it was to rehabilitate himself from alcohol. Yeah. He's back on the ball. Yeah, poor guy. Because that's the thing about his alcohol. Like he didn't he didn't drink just to drink. Like he drank because it helped him not feel pain anymore. Yeah. But now he's drinking because he's sad. Yeah. And he's drinking. Yeah. He's drinking because his <sighs> his baseball team kicked him yeah. off the team. And then the Reds kicked him off too. However, on September second, Pete was re-signed by the Reds and made his second debut for them, going three for four in an eight to five win over Brooklyn. Despite missing a good chunk of the season, Pete finished with a solid 292 batting average. That's really good. And so far, that's the lowest of his career, and 292 is still it's it's nearly it's 300. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Nearly 300. The 1893 season brought on the change of moving the pitcher's mound back from 50 feet to 60 feet and 6 inches, where the mound still sits today. Uh, this resulted in like another drop of, uh, of batting of averages. Batting averages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, guys just, their all their timing was thrown off. Right. Uh, so Pete once again signed on with Louisville to start the season. And while his salary is not known, it was reported to be one of the highest in the league. Unfortunately, the Colonels won only four of their first 25 games. Ooh. 
While the team flailed, Pete eventually warmed up and began hitting like his old self, his old self again, hitting two three-hit games within a week of each other. On July 21st, Pete went two for four against Cleveland pitcher Cy Young. Oh, shit. I don't know how many players have had multi-hit games against Cy Young. Uh, for those who don't know, Cy Young is one of the greatest pitchers, probably the greatest pitcher to ever live. And today, uh, the award given to pitchers is called the Cy Young Award. Yeah, like the best pitcher in each league gets, yeah. gets the Cy Young Award. I mean, Cy Young had multiple no-hitters, multiple perfect games. He's the best pitcher to ever live, and Pete got a multi-hit game off of him. Uh, during this season, Pete only played in 57 games. One reason is he kept getting sick, and the other is because Louisville management is insane and released Browning, even though he was far and away their best player. Like, we're going to release this guy, even though he's raking. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Pete thought he would be picked up again like he was in previous season, but unfortunately, no teams offered him a contract. When he was released, Louisville held the worst record in the league, so everyone else figured that if the worst team in the majors didn't want him, they weren't going to sign him either. Mm. So just kind of shitty politics got in the way of Pete being signed to another team. This would practically be the end of Pete's career in the majors. In 1894, Pete would play just three games for the whole season, all of them as a replacement player. He played two games for St. Louis and one for Brooklyn. Pete played his final major league game on September 30th, 1894. In his final game, he went two for four, walked, and scored a run. Want to know where this game took place? Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back, doesn't it? It's very uh, very cyclical <laughs> for Pete. It's kind of, I don't know if cyclical is the right word. It's like a black hole. He keeps getting pulled he, back. He's getting sucked back yeah. to Louisville. For a few years, Pete played in some minor league and independent circuits, always trying to make his way back to the majors. In 1896, he signed a contract with the Columbus, Ohio team in the Western League. Pete's team opened their season with two exhibition games against Louisville. <laughs> there was much hype around the upcoming games. Louisville won both of them by scores of 10-3 and 13-6. In the first game, Pete went 0-4. In the second game, he did a little better, hitting an RBI double that scored two runs. Pete's team ended up finishing second to last in the Western League. Man. <clears throat> yeah, great player on just terrible teams. <laughs> never never did, like, really anything on any yeah. of his teams. After the conclusion of the 1896 season, Pete occasionally popped up in baseball columns. One day, the Courier-Journal ran a Where Are They Now segment on former Louisville baseball stars. For Pete, they simply wrote, Pete Browning is in Louisville, end quote. No, he's here. <laughs> it all comes back. It all comes back. Uh, he was known to pop into saloons and gambling parlors to place bets against the colonels from time to time. <laughs> I uh, don't bet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Lions, like, started, like, playing more like, poker. Play poker yeah, he's like, that. actually, this is fun. Like, after, after Pete forced him to drink yeah. and, and play poker with him, he's like, mm, I like, actually like this. Um, occasionally, Pete would pop up as an umpire for exhibition games. <laughs> and evidently, Pete did well as an, um, as an umpire. The Louisville commercial wrote, quote, When he says a thing doesn't go, he says it in such a way to give the impression that the sun can turn to darkness and the moon to green cheese before he would take it back or compromise himself in the slightest. Now, if lamps were burning brightly and his microphones were in good working order, there is no reason why he should not be an active member of Uncle Nick's staff. The president of the National League, uh, his name was Nick Young, so that's who Uncle, Uncle Nick. Nick is. They're saying, yeah, they're saying he should be a professional umpire. Yeah. 
1904, a few articles ran about who had hit the longest ball of all time. A player by the name of Jimmy Ryan claimed to have hit the longest home run after a ball he hit over the fence landed on a passing train and carried it all the way from Chicago to San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) Another player named George Van Haltren claimed his home run was longer as he had put his home run over the fence and onto a passing ship, which he estimated carried it about 21,000 miles. (laughs) The article finished by saying, quote, if anyone can equal this record, Van would like to hear from him. Pete saw this article and challenged this assertion by saying, quote, At this game that was played at Atlantic City, I hit a ball pitched by Tommy Burns, once a right fielder of the old Brooklyn club and a pitcher of the Atlantic City team at the time. Well, there is no necessity in making any more talk, but they are still looking for the ball, which was a terrific drive over the center field fence into the Atlantic Ocean. Jimmy Ryan's ball has been found, but they are still looking for mine. <laughs> Is this the that double that he hit over yeah, the wall? Yeah, the home yeah. run that was a double. That's run. it exactly. That ended up being a double because the rules changed. <laughs> yeah, they were like no home runs today. <laughs> uh, so in 1905, Pete's health began to decline dramatically. On June 7th of that year, Pete was declared a lunatic and sentenced to the Fourth Kentucky Lunatic Asylum in nearby Lake. No, Pete. Uh, this asylum still exists today, but now it's known as the Central State Hospital. If you're curious, it has a 3 out of 5 rating from Rehab.com and has glowing Google reviews such as the food is great, staff is friendly. (laughs) Great. I want to think that Pete helped out a little bit while he was there. I I hope so. On June 21st, Pete was released and one of his sisters retrieved him from the asylum. It was revealed that Pete had been suffering from an abscess and when it burst, he immediately showed improvement. About a month later, though, he was admitted to a local hospital where he finally underwent ear surgery and had a tumor removed from his chest. Quote, it was found that his mastoid cells had been filling with a foreign growth which pressed upon the brain, and it was believed that this had caused the insanity, as Browning improved rapidly following the operation and was soon released. After the examination yesterday, however, it was found that the growth had again affected the brain and he has had severe pains and severe pains in his head for several days. He recovered quickly, but was back in the hospital almost as soon as he had left. During his second stay, he just up and left the hospital one day and went back home because he didn't like hearing the other patients groan all the time. (laughs) Like, I don't like it here. Yeah, he just went home and was like, I'm going to hang out with my mom. Oh, yeah, his mom and his 200 bats. Yeah, his his mom and his 200 bats, yeah. (laughs) Fortunately, on September 10th, 1905, Pete passed away. His official cause of death was listed as asthenia which is, like, an old catch-all term for, like, a loss of strength. Okay. It's like that robot from Revenge of the Sith when uh, Amidala dies, and (laughs) the robot's like, she's lost the will to live, basically. Fair enough. That works. (laughs) Uh, Today, it's thought that his death was a combination of his poorly treated mastoiditis, cancer, and cirrhosis of the liver. Is it cirrhosis or cirrhosis? Cirrhosis of the liver. Alcoholism. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Uh, some even think that he may have been suffering from the advanced stages of syphilis. Uh, the Louisville, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Louisville Times announced his death, writing, quote, Lewis Rogers Browning's lamps are out until eternity's mourn. His lamps are out. All those lamps that he looked at the sun and put soot in. <laughs> Old Pete, the gladiator and hero of the baseball world, died yesterday afternoon at City Hospital at 2.15 o'clock. Pete was buried in Cave Hill Cemetery, with his funeral being well attended by family and his many friends. 
one of whom his childhood friend and teammate, John Rexy, is. Unfortunately, when Pete was buried, whoever made his headstone misspelled his first name. <laughs> so he's... <laughs> so his on his original gravestone, it was written L-E-W-I-S. Mm-hmm. He spells his name L-O-U-I-S, mm-hmm. which is also how you would spell out Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. So you messed up. So, Even yeah. though you live in this, this, this city <laughs> that's spelled the same. Uh, so this misspelled grave marker sat there for almost 80 years. Oh my god. Until 1984 when the Hillerich and Bradsby Company, the same company who made Pete's Bats all those years ago, replaced his grave marker with a new one that correctly spelled his name and listed his many accomplishments in the game. Which I'll list some of them now. His career stats include a wins above replacement of 40.4. Over 1,600 hits, a career batting average of 341, 659 RBIs, and 954 runs scored. His grave is not too far from another Kentucky legend, Colonel Sanders. (laughs) Uh, Pete's legacy lives on at the Louisville Slugger Museum in, well, Louisville. And there's even a restaurant nearby named Browning's Restaurant and Brewery. In 1931, Universal Studios, well, what's now Universal Studios, released the film Dracula, starring Bela Lugosi. The film was written, produced, and directed by Todd Browning, Pete's nephew. Wow. That's Pete Browning. That's that's actually really nice. I stumbled upon this guy just because I was looking at uh, stupid baseball team names. <laughs> and you found the, the white sewing machine company? Yeah, well, I found the Cleveland Infants, and that's how I found Pete Browning. Mm-hmm. And then I just fell down the rabbit hole, and I was like, we have to talk about this guy. <laughs> this guy, like, one, what a, what a life that this guy lived. I know. Like, your dad dies in a tornado, and it gets worse. Basically. I wish we were able to know more about him, because, like, his life really isn't well documented outside of baseball. Yeah. Uh, the primary source for this episode was a book called American Gladiator, The Life and Times of Pete Browning. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's a pretty comprehensive look at his baseball career. But just there's really not much known about him outside of the game. Because once he wasn't playing anymore, at the end of the 1890s and early 1900s, there's just very few stories about him. Yeah. Because now he's just a guy. He's just a guy. Um, he doesn't play baseball. He's <clears throat> in like a mental hospital. Yeah. Like um, a regular hospital. Apparently he did run a saloon for a little while. <laughs> Okay. Which makes sense. Uh, he was also yeah, he was also a cigar salesman for a little while. I wonder, um, if, I wonder if they were wet and touching his like naked body in yeah. that coat. <laughs> Probably. Well, it hey, sucks because like he died pretty young, even for his day. Like he, his mother was still alive because he was in his early thirties when he died. Yeah, because I was gonna say because he was born in like the eighteen eighteen sixty yeah eighteen sixty one, two months after. Uh, the attack on Fort Sumter. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I never would have guessed the Louisville Slugger was a dude <laughs> who stared into the sun. <laughs> I didn't either. Like, I figured it was, like, named after someone, or they're like, yeah, you know, it's a name. They're made in Louisville. But I didn't realize that they were actually named after a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's probably the best thing. They, like, if they had named it after someone who was, like, kind of, eh, so-so, you know, it might not be as memorable, but they named it after a guy who stared into the sun yeah. and tried to catch, like, ground balls with his legs. <laughs> I know. That's kind of what I love about this beautiful, chaotic sport is, like, baseball is, like, the gentleman's game, but 
I mean, Pete has has one of the biggest influences on the game, yeah. <laughs> and he was by no means a gentleman in in how I guess the National League would like you to think of gentlemen. Yeah, like everyone. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about old baseball players, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, they were very stand-up and all of this stuff. And then you go and you read about them. It's like, oh, yeah, they were all hammered. They were psychos. They were all hammered. They were all crazy. <laughs> and they were all racist. Yeah, it's just this game was built by a bunch of violent alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Which it's is a sport yeah. that America deserves. Yeah, it's perfect. I would not have it any other way, <laughs> personally. It, it kind of hasn't gotten a whole lot different, except that they hide the alcoholism a little yeah. bit better. <laughs> Pete is not in the Hall of Fame because there was no Hall of Fame during it. Yeah. However, there is a society that um, adds um, like 19th century players to the Hall of Fame retroactively. And if I remember correctly, Pete is up for election next year okay so he may very well be in the hall of fame i think he should be considering one of the game's most iconic instruments is named after him and he's also one of the greatest hitters ever yeah um so yeah i mean hopefully he'll be in i mean fritz pfeffer is in fritz pfeffer. yeah the guy who walked off the field because moses was gonna play oh yeah, yeah, yeah. uh yeah he's in he's in the hall of fame he also ran a bar in chicago for a little while it closed down during Prohibition, and he sold it. He sold his business for like a dollar. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Just like yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Here, yeah. here's a buck. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, I hope you learned something. I definitely did. Um, thank you for joining us on this journey, and uh, remember, don't stare into the sun, <laughs> or put soot in your eyes, or put soot in your. Eyes. <laughs> All right, bye everybody. Bye, y'all. <laughs>